So how was it for you, Steve? What, the start of the season? No, the Blooming Masters. Oh, <laughs> it was very good. Um, I, I must confess that I had um, I had watched more golf over the last four days of the Masters than I had since the Open Championship. Right. There is something about did... major golf, isn't there? There is, yeah. I know you didn't watch Saturday night because you went to watch Middlesbrough instead. On Friday night, yeah. Yeah. But I missed actually very little golf, as it turned out, because obviously it got cold off. Oh, yeah. That was that night, so, wasn't it? So I missed hardly anything um, and still watched Middlesbrough lose to Burnley. There was quite a ridiculous number of withdrawals, weren't there? Which I was sort of thinking about you when that was happening and with your rules hat on. Oosthausen withdrew with like one putt to hit, didn't he? I'm sure that the fact that he was plus seven and was going to miss the cut had nothing at all to do with it. I'm sure he was genuinely injured. Tiger withdrew. Kevin Nahr withdrew. Someone else as well. I'm sure someone else withdrew. Oh, um, what's his name with the putting? Oh, Salatoris. Well, yeah. he's he's had to have surgery, hasn't he? So, um, very serious. And, and I was watching a couple of Kevin Nahr's early swings and he didn't look comfortable. And Tiger, I mean, as soon as the rain came down, it was odds on Tiger withdrawing, wasn't it? I mean, that's a lot of golfers. There's only 80 people in the field, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and if we just sort of go back to this time last week when we were all kind of hoping for a Rory win, that didn't really pan out, did it? No, Rory once again gave my money to the bookmakers. Thank you, Rory. Yeah. My bet, I had bets on Justin Rose and um, Morikawa, which were looking exceptionally good for each weight, and then they both managed to capitulate and finish like 12th, basically. I had a similar Jason Day story. Hmm. Uh, but a worthy winner, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's such, a good, he's such a cool guy, isn't he? Hmm. Such a good guy. Um, and I, I, I like him because he understands his placing golf folklore and golf traditionally understands that lineage of the history, which I don't think, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm not sure a lot of modern golfers are sort of quite into golf as he is. He's into golf, which is what I really, really like. You know, it's, he understands the history of the sport and he understands the people who've come before him. It's not just, I'm really good yeah. at this. Let me make some money. He's going off to play again this weekend. He hasn't withdrawn, has he? No, he hasn't. Um, in fact, he made a pointed statement about that, saying that he'd made a commitment and he was going to go and see it through. All power to you, John. Which is presumably aimed in McElroy's direction. I don't think it. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. I think he was just asked a question about should he have withdrawn because he'd obviously won the Masters. And when you win the Masters, quite a lot is asked of you, isn't it, in the immediate aftermath? But. I mean, in fairness, if you'd won if you'd won the Masters, you'd just want to be getting your green jacket out in as many paces as possible. So I'd have thought playing golf again was exactly what you want to be doing, really. Well, he does have the opportunity to win another jacket, the mm. treasured green jacket, oh, tartan yeah. jacket combo. Yeah. Said no one ever. <clears throat> has any, uh, yeah. Has anyone ever done that back to back? Presumably not. I, but I don't, I'm not sure. And the uh, the outpouring on social media of people both at the Masters and then playing in the Monday golf at Augusta was, seemed to be more unbearable this year than ever before. Why was and that? Not just, well, yeah, and all these people as well who had to tell us they were at the Masters this year. Thank you. 
including my including my own colleague. We'll go next year. Not not that I was jealous in any way whatsoever. We'll have to go next year. I can't. I don't think I can sit through all that again. At least he didn't didn't get drawn out of the ballot. Well, but I felt sorry for him because of the people I know in golf. He seemed to be the only one who wasn't drawn out of the ballot. Well, who did? McEwen did. Who else? Yeah, Michael did. Um, Sarah Sturk, I think, got pulled out of the barrier really? as well. I've seen a picture yesterday, which is fantastic news. Um, and lots of other people. There was, I think, two golf digest writers, weren't there? Yeah, about the ballot. Yeah. I've seen their scorecards. So I sort of felt a little bit for Alex, although he didn't have... Because the, the problem with getting pulled out of the ballot, I suppose, is you've got the inconvenience of then trying to find a set of clubs from somewhere and ringing around basically the whole of Augusta or the whole of Georgia or the whole of South Carolina. Surely they have higher clubs ready to go, don't they? I don't think that... I, no, I don't think they do. Um, mm. And, um, I mean, no one's going to pay £120 or whatever it is, extra airfare, are they, on the chance, the minute chance that they might get pulled out of the ballot? No, people do People do come onto social media and say, oh, congratulations, you, you, you deserve this. This is everything you've worked for. It's it's literally a raffle. <laughs> so, so anyway, I mean, I, um, I, I, I obviously didn't go to Augusta. Um, the less said about that, the better. Um, I obviously... Uh, didn't get we the chance. Get, to... We need we need to get you there, don't we? We need to get you there. Well, stupid. Promises have been made, haven't they, in the past? I've got it have in writing somewhere. Have you? It was the start of the competition season for me. You're trying to move on to the topic of the podcast, you mean? You don't well, want yeah, to just continue well, to muse on the Masters. Do, do you not want to know how the tailor-made Stealth 2 driver did in its inaugural outing, competitive outing? Sorry, I hadn't realised there'd been such a seismic event this weekend. So you're telling me that the competition season kicked off, in your opinion, a month or two early? And nothing that I saw at the weekend was to dissuade me of that in any way. At Strenny, um, yes. I mean, to be honest, Strenny was in really, really good nick. You've got to give um, credit to the greenkeepers um, because that course was shut on Thursday. It was flooded, um, and then to get the course in a position where it could even hold 180 plus people going around it on Saturday off the back tees was a sensational effort. Um, I played out of my skin, Tom. Did you? And shot 16 over par. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, missed, I missed three fairways. I hit the driver so well, I missed three fairways. But obviously it was damp. There was no run. Um, it was a course that was 5,700 yards, was now 6,400 yards and a bit. And I basically hit driver hybrid on every hole. My wow. average, My average approach... The shortest approach I measured all day, outside of obviously par fives and that sort of stuff, my shortest approach that I measured all day was 156 yards. It was mostly like right. one. It was mostly like 180. So I just could not get there. I couldn't get there. Um, so what are you telling me? It's playing quite long. Oh, it's playing unbelievably long. I got no roll at all. No run. Come on, nothing. Then. Come on, then. come on. Then. So what's the digits? 
you shot 16 over, which is what, 13 to 33 points? No, no, it's worse because we're past 70. So I shot 86. Right. Um, which if you look at my last my scoring last year, you would say, there's no difference. He's scoring exactly the same as he was last year. But I played so much better. So, like, so is it so, a, so much is it better. A, so is it a medal? Yeah. Right. So you had a net 75 or something? Something like that, yeah. What, and what won? 65. What? It was brilliant scoring, actually. To be, I, I, do you know? Do you know what? I, it, it was. It was one of those competitions where everyone who wants to, like, say, high handicappers dominate competitions should come and look at that scorecard because the guy who won it shot a gross seventy or five. Right, proper Presumably. scoring. I guess uh, if you got those soft conditions, someone who can hit it a long way but might be a bit wild, it's going to suit them quite well, isn't it? Yeah, that's a proper score, though. But in in, mm. in sort of Damp conditions, grill 70 on that course off white tees. You've just got to take your hat off. That's exceptional scoring. But is, yeah. even though I finished something like 70th, um, I do feel pretty encouraged because I hit, I missed three fairways all day and I missed those three fairways by a combined 10 yards in total. Yeah. So the driver was really, really good. I mean, I've hit it into the fairway. So when... Obviously, York is York. York's a Heathland golf course. You know, let's fast forward to July when we're getting firm conditions, and I'm getting an awful lot of roll. I'm I'm genuinely optimistic. Yeah. Um. And what did you? So that was the sum title of your Easter golf, was it? Yeah, just just the one, just the one round. Mm. You're so on. You're on holiday, aren't you? I am on holiday. Yeah. I'm at somewhere called, well, it used to be called High Bullen in Devon. Are you familiar? I'm not, but this is exceptional commitment to podcasting. It's reinventing, it's reinvented itself as somewhere called The Mole. As in? I don't need to, pl- I don't need to plug it too much because we are play- paying. So but I will tell you a little bit about it. When you say it's The Mole, to- do you think, do you mean little creatures that burrow out of the ground? No, I mean The Mole River. It's named after The uh... Mole River in Devon. Used to be High Bull and Golf Course, which was like a kind of pretty decent eighteen uh, hole golf course. They turned nine holes into like some lodges and like kids stuff, like foot golf and all the rest of it, like everyone else has done. Uh, so it's all right, apart from yesterday, there was like a biblical storm, so we went to the cinema. We drove forty five minutes to go to the cinema. In fact, when we could have driven two minutes from our house at home to go to the cinema. Are you basically in what is? Known in dictionary terms as the sticks. Yeah, it's. Uh, have you been to Devon? Uh, very occasionally, not since I was a child. Fascinating fact about Devon for you: it's got more miles of road than any other county in Britain. And um, the problem is they're all about three feet wide, with twenty-five feet hedges either side. So you basically take your life in your hands as soon as you leave the property. So yeah, that's what we're doing. So I'm hoping to get a bit of golf in here with my eldest. And I played foursomes at the weekend. Did you? Yeah. How Easter did that foursomes. go? Uh, well, I played with Hannah, so we couldn't actually enter the tournament um, because she's ineligible, what with being a woman's. Um, and we played with, uh, played with the blimmin' winners, didn't we? That always so happens, had- doesn't it? We reckon we had 32 points, but we don't really know because she hasn't got a handicap off the men's tees, but we kind of gave her, I think, five. Uh, so we had 32, and they had like 41, I think, which is a lot in it. 
that is a lot in a foursomes. Was it a no, good like a three and four handicapper? Oh right, so just I mean proper golf, not a high low mix where you get a lot of no, shots. It was very very impressive, yeah. So it's pretty good, <clears throat> um, and that's sort of I guess what we're going to try and chat about today is uh, the club knockout season, right? Well, you're already out of one competition, aren't you? Steady, don't give away all my best lines. <laughs> I just I, I can't get I can't get over the fact that like our draw doesn't even close for another sort of four days as we record this podcast. I think the deadline's like the seventeenth, so I, even, I don't even know who my opponents are yet for the two that I'm in, and you're already like one campaign's already been consigned to history. And I'm already out out before Easter is bad, isn't it? <laughs> so what what are, what are you playing in? I am playing in the uh, individual. Um, so I'm going what? match play. So I'm going into but some person-to-person handicap, combat. Handicap? Scratch? No, not scratch. Playoff 11, for God's sake. Why would I go into the scratch competition? I'm not a glutton for punishment. People do, Steve. People um, do. In fact, I don't even think you can enter hours unless your handicap is 9.2 or below. So I'm ineligible right. for it. So I'm in, I'm in the handicap and I've entered the, um, I've entered the better ball match play with my partner secret weapon and is that all that's available to you to enter uh i think no i could have entered the mixed um i'd have liked to have entered the mixed actually uh, because i've got a very solid record as we've spoken about before in mixed competitions most of my golfing trophies have come in mixed competitions so i'm a bit sad not to have found a partner for that but two match players is probably enough we have another one at strenny called um the long handicap, which is for higher handicappers. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, and that's a very popular competition as well. So I think there's four match play competitions at York, which is a decent number, actually. I mean, it, it's a club that, like the, the stroke indexes, if you have a look, although we've just changed our stroke indexes, mm-hmm. if you have a look on the um, on the little signs, I think they're like yours at Old Woodley, you know, they're sort of designed for match play. So very traditional, right? Yeah, that's that really does throw quite a few people when they come to Old Woodley that they think their course has been stroke indexed wrongly. People argue about that quite a lot actually on social, don't they, about the stroke indexes of holes? Um, so we've got um, we've got the Ubique, which is the scratch knockout. I've got one W in that. We've got the Beaumont, which is the handicap knockout. I've got one W in that. We've got the Crawford, which is the pairs better ball, which I've beaten finalist on two occasions. Never won it. Uh, and we've got mixed foursomes. And we've also we've also got like a green tea thing for sort of 24 plus handicaps. I think it's 24 plus, probably 18 plus, isn't it? Uh, so that's your lot. Um, so how many, how many people would you see entering these tournaments because I want to scourge like the the magnificence or not of your triumph scratch knockout like 16 <laughs> so you basically into the quarterfinals pretty much automatically I've had some pretty random experiences in the Ubique way to be honest I played a guy of nine the other year um, I gave him a sort of seven foot put on the seventh for a half um, and then beat him on the tenth green that was quite bad um, 
have also had some absolutely diabolically bad scratch knockout matches where my golf's just been woeful and the person will be playing to be woeful. This happens quite a lot, I think, in the scratch knockout where the scoring is just way, way, way worse than you think. Um, but yeah, I'm out. I'm out already of the uh, of the Beaumont this year. So if I can give you a sort of indication of the scale of task that awaits me, um, there are 82 people in the Howell Trophy knockout, which is the um, men's individual. 82? There are 82 in that. And in the summer four-ball knockout, there are currently 134. So 134 divided by two, probably. Um, Whatever your maths are. But that's a lot of players, right? I've got it is yeah 80 81 someone just like someone just pulled out of the hell knockout of the hell trophies I've been speaking it's now 81 in it that's a lot of people how big's the membership like 600 yeah well yeah but like we're an extremely active golf club so we've got a second team trophy event this weekend. Um, which is a, a better ball, there are 196 in it. Mm. You know, I mean, like 200 plus for us in a, in, a, in a medal. I think we had about 185 last week in the opening medal. So you can wow. imagine what you're, you can imagine what you've got to do to win a competition there. You've got, you've got to play well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what about these, what about arranging these matches? Like how do you get on with that? Have you had to do it yet this year? Uh, can I, yeah, so what I normally do is basically leave it to my partner and say, you sort it out in the ultimate act of basically ignorance. <laughs> you, you want to enter, Trevor? Can you sort out the games, please? And he does it diligently. Um, so I sort of leave it up to him. Obviously, in the individual, I've got to do it. It's, it's easier than it used to be, is what I would say. Um, you know, the, the IG app... Um, you can just message your opponents, which does make it easier. It definitely makes it easier. I mean, I remember the days of like having to ring your actually ring your opponent up, um, and it's a right ball ache. It really is because then you're someone's always quibbling over a day that they can't do, and then depending on the type of club you've got, you know, there's always the I work during the week against the. I can't do anything at weekends. But IG, I know we'll get into some of this in the piece, but IG definitely makes it easier because you sort of get your opponent, so it gives you the match, and then you can directly message your opponent and sort of do it over text, which I do think is um, a bit of a... It's an easier way to do it, definitely. Yeah. It's it's a massive problem, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's first world problems, right? But it's it seems to be significantly tricky, People communicate in lots of different ways, don't they? I would, I would definitely prefer a WhatsApp. I think people email me at work, don't like that. It's very inefficient because a lot, a lot of these people are on sort of Gmail accounts and stuff that then they're checking in frequently. They'll send a range of dates and then not get back for like three days, and then those dates are not available anymore. These things happen a lot. Um, it's it's definitely a tactic as well or it was a tactic in the past i haven't i haven't experienced this at york but it's definitely a tactic of some people to say i can't make all of these dates in the hope that you might just go oh i can't be bothered with this you have the game um and i and i you think you think you think there are some people who would rather sort of win by walkover than just have to play no absolutely 
No, absolutely. Sure. Definitely. Oh, come on. You know, you get 28 days to 30 days to sort out a match. And, and the people you're playing against have got, like, one day in that 30, and it happens to be, like, 3 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon when they know you're at work. There's no way it's not a tactic. I, I've had to resolve it. At my old club, we used to have this thing for final day where, basically, if you couldn't organise a time, the people stood on the tee at 4 p.m. on the deadline day would be the ones that basically won. And if you were both there at the same time or all four of you were there at the same time, you would have to play. And I've definitely had to do that in the past. I've definitely had to say to people, well, if we can't sort this out, I promise you I will be on the tee at 4 o'clock on deadline day. And it's amazing, it's amazing, isn't it, how that concentrates the mind sometimes of your opponents when you when you give them that. But isn't it just like unbelievable that you've got to get to that point in the first place? Have you? <laughs> but I can't. I just don't understand the sort of where's the logic, and I'm going to enter this golf competition so I can get some competitive golf, and then go out of your way to avoid playing the match to get a walkover. Like, what's people are not that bothered about vouchers, are they? Are you listening to yourself? People aren't yeah, that bothered about vouchers. When was the last time you stepped into a club? People are in, people are intensely bothered about vouchers. People are intensely bothered about winning competitions. That's why they complain all day about handicaps. That's why they complain all day about entry requirements. People are incredibly bothered about winning their £25 for scooping their division or whatever. Yeah, um, right. So, uh, But the, the sort of sandbagging thing... Um, sort of vaguely protecting your handicap so you can win like a big prize I mean I can't understand it but I can sort of understand it like as in but you have still got to actually go and play golf to do that <laughs> to try to try and win a competition by just getting a series of walkovers then I mean really I have definitely in the past basically not played a first round game because I just could not be hassled with all the with all the difficulty it took to arrange it. I've just gone, well you have it then, I can't be bothered. Well yeah, I mean I can I can sort of see that. I can I can see conceding it by because you just sort of look this is just not happening. They're not that yeah, bothered. But, but I think it's definitely attack it's definitely been a tactic um in my no. experience to make it as difficult as possible to organise a game in the hope that either your opponents will concede or you'll just be able to claim the game. Right. I can sort of see the logic in trying to arrange a match that you know is like inconvenient for your opposition. So if someone's saying, oh, I can do that time, but I'll be screeching in from a work meeting or something, then I can sort of see that you go, oh, yeah, I'll do that because there's going to be a fluster and that might give me an advantage. I'm pretty sure someone did that to me once when I had a bad back one summer and they arranged, arranged for us to play at like 7 a.m., when my back would not been good, I'm pretty sure that was definitely a tactic. I lost, so I had to think of some reasons. Um, so yeah, the whole. Do you think? Do you think there should be any sort of latitude whatsoever with these um, getting these games arranged? Do you think it should be like this is the cutoff date? Like where? If you if you're have you ever been a competition secretary? Uh, no, you haven't. But I, but but I have asked this specific question. Um, so I, I can uh, of of a former committee. I don't know if I can tell this story. Of course, um, I've got loads okay. of stories yeah, about okay. this. So, um, firstly, I'll answer your question directly. Um, now, as a rules man, I would say you missed the deadline. It's your own fault. Um, 
I'm, I, but I do think there are there can be some extenuating circumstances. So um, it, it, a very a long, long time ago, Mister Competition Deadline with um with a partner, um, and he'd suffered a bereavement, um, and we appealed obviously to we I think we actually played the game after the deadline, um, and then everyone got chucked out because the deadline had hadn't been met. I think we appealed that and the appeal was denied, which I thought was quite interesting that even a, even a family, even a family bereavement was not enough, was not enough of a, 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 of a reason to not have played a game by the deadline. Um, So it wouldn't surprise you to to know that um, we didn't last very long at that golf club after that. Um, But, um, the, the rules person in me would say deadlines are hard and deadlines are fast, but I think there can always be an extenuating circumstance. And I think it's a pretty hard committee that isn't prepared to accept, you know, sort of an emergency or an extreme situation as a possibility for extending a deadline. Um, but I suppose it depends on it depends on the committee, doesn't it? If you have a hard and fast deadline, and you employ that universally for everybody and everybody knows where they stand and it's fair in the sense that it's not there's no difference is there then then I, then I suppose that that can work really really well everyone knows where they where they are I, I i i accept that the problem with having extenuating circumstances as you put them is that people can seek to exploit them can't they or they can or the way that a committee rules on one person and not another person, for example, can be open to question, can't it? Yeah, and that I think, can lead um, to dis- and that can lead to dispute. It's a pretty. Uh, it's a pretty. I think it's what's well, funny for a start, isn't it? I mean, that's that's not the least sight of that. It's a game of golf, but people do get in an absolute tizzwas about it. Um, I'd have to say I have some sympathy with the sort of binary. That's the deadline. Just get on with it. There's no exceptions. Um, I've definitely been on the wrong side of this quite a few times where um, you kind of, you know full well you're not going to get allowed an extension. Um, uh, But you you do everything you possibly can to try and get an extension. So you'll call the the group who are already in the next round and you'll arrange a date for the next round match. And then you'll ring the competition secretary and say, right, we've got a date for our match, which is two days after the deadline, but we've arranged the next round match for the day after, so we're not going to delay the competition. And I think if you've sort of gone to the trouble of doing all of those things, then and you're not going to therefore delay the sort of onward uh, competition pr- proceeding, then you probably ought to be able to do it. There's been some absolute shockers at um, various places I've played over the years. There was uh, <clears throat> there was one <laughs> I really shouldn't name names. Can I name names? Can't name names. Can I? Uh, there was one at um, there was one at Old Woodley where the Ubique, which has got a deadline of um, the end of September, I think, so it can then be presented at the men's prize giving in November. The final didn't get played until the following March, <laughs> basically because uh, the two people in the final were both playing horrifically badly, so sort of going out of their way to avoid playing this final. One of them had the shanks. And then, of course, it was winter, so that was pretty embarrassing for everyone because there was nothing to present at the men's prize giving. Uh, and then there's another one which involved one of the same people, um, where the semi-final of the scratch knockout was in is basically has to be played in August, 
And as it turned out, the two people who were in this final were both away for the entirety of the month of August. Um, so they physically couldn't get it played. Anyway, so they did the thing where they said, right, we've arranged the semi for September and we've also arranged the final for September. So the competition's going to get done within the within the allotted time frame. Competition secretary said no. Um, he said, unless there's a name written up by the deadline date, which was whatever, the 31st of August, then I'm going to uh, toss a coin uh, in the pro shop with um, the pro as my witness and the result of the... Of the uh, of the coin toss will stand. So he went ahead and did it. Um, and there was a winner, which happened to be the sort of higher handicapper of the, of the two people. Um, and then the higher handicapper of the two people sort of slept on it overnight and thought, actually, we shouldn't let the match go to a, a coin toss. I would probably have lost this match. So I'll now give my uh, prospective opponent a walkover into the final. Um, but the competition secretary wouldn't allow it. said so the, the result of the uh, coin toss would stand, uh, and therefore the result, he, the the, high, the lower handicap person proceeded to the final. Um, sorry, the high handicap person would proceed to the final, who didn't want to play because they didn't agree with the the way it had been handled. So then there was no final. Um, so that led to very some very sheepish looks at the the men's prize giving that year. So I mean, I <coughs> excuse me, I don't I don't know what the terms and conditions would say for that competition and whether all of these things were, were written down in there, all of these eventualities. If they're in there, then that's the rules and that's how it's proceeded. Um, but the, the point I'm going to make, a serious one to obviously what was an interesting story, was this is why if you don't have really solid terms of condition, terms of competition, you really need to have them um, because you need to have all of this stuff written down if x happens y happens if the two of you don't play a match by this date this happens if there's a if there's a walkover this happens um you'll be you'll be amazed how many weird and wonderful things can happen in trying to hold a golf competition for things that are obviously people's fault and for things that are not people's fault but a lot of this stuff i mean like everything that you've described there could be reasonably foreseen beforehand um, yeah. by, by by people and can be catered for in terms of competition. So I'm going to get my rules bit out of the way there and say, make sure your terms of competition are absolutely up to the mark. No, but, that's, but that, that should apply to um, that should apply to the arranging of the match in the first place. There should be a protocol for that, shouldn't there? Like it used to be, I think the first the person who's like on top in the draw was the it was their responsibility to contact the other person. Yeah, I think I'm going to have a look at um, our terms of competition for the Howell Trophy, which is the individual knockout, and see what it says. Because our terms of competition are normally like absolutely bang on. Um, we've got, um, interestingly, we've got. Um, you have to have played a certain number of competitive rounds and a certain number of acceptable scores to enter this year. Um, so we changed these. So now you've got to have a minimum of six acceptable scores, three of which must have been in handicap qualifying competitions in well, since January the first. Don't, don't get me started on this. So this is what's this is what's happened to my regular partner in the winter foursomes and in the the better ball pairs in the summer that he's got no eligible scores because he played all of his golf in Scotland last year. So his handicap is technically inactive, um, which I just think is an absolute curious egg of a thing. So 
but basically the only golf he would play at um, our home course this year would be in these knockouts and he can't get in the knockouts because he's got an inactive handicap so it's kind of an absolutely unvirtuous circle of legislation isn't it well interoperability um, will soon be in place and it will be a doddle to enter scores yeah. from anywhere you can enter them all from ireland this year so i've got i've got the rules up yeah. and this is this is so this is from our terms of competition for the howell trophy knockout and um it's it, there is a long list of rules in terms of competition, which is great. But it says it is the responsibility of the member on the top line of the draw to make initial contact. Contact should be made as soon as it is known who the opponent is in the next round. There is no need to wait until the closing date of the current round. The member making contact should, whenever possible, give his opponent three possible dates, not all in the same week, and including at least one weekday and one weekend day. If the opponent is unable to play on any of the three dates suggested, he himself should offer three further dates. Again, these dates should not all be in the same week and should include weekdays and weekend days. Four, even if after these six dates have been proposed, it is not still possible to agree a date and the match cannot be played by the final date for the round, both players will be eliminated from the competition. It is the responsibility of both players to ensure that the match is played and it's expected that members will be capable of reaching an amicable solution which needs the meets the needs of both parties. Sorry, I'm just going to continue reading here because um, it's interesting to what we were saying earlier on. In extreme, on. Circum- in extreme circumstances, when a match has not been played by the final day and one member or the other believes that he has a grievance, he may appeal to the chairman of matches and competitions for an adjudication. Actions in respect of one to four above will be taken into account and the chairman's decision will be final. That's absolutely spot on, that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, like, you, you can be in no doubt... Right, what your responsibilities are as a player under those terms and conditions. That um, that's, that's the first time I've read them all the way through. They're really impressive. That's absolutely incredible. But I mean, it's a bit like VAR, isn't it? What are we going to argue about now? It's all just there <laughs> in black and white, isn't it? <laughs> but, so, but, 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 but. It, it, it measures the point of what I was saying about why terms of competitions are so important because everything is laid down there, both... Both players in the individual there know exactly what's expected of them. And if they don't deliver what's expected of them, then the likelihood is they won't get the result that they want if they end up taking it to appeal. Yeah. It's a very strange world we live in, isn't it? When we're talking about the entering golf club knockout competitions, the two things we talked about so far are A, people avoiding playing matches to get a walkover, B, <laughs> the utter ineptitude in which we all display and get them arranged. It's like pretty bad, isn't it? So what are you like when you arrive for one of these matches? As in, what sort of face do you pull? I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to try and pigeonhole you here, but I'm saying that on a competition day, I sort of imagine that you... you Generally speaking, get there in plenty of time. I'd imagine you've got like one of your best outfits on. You've marked your balls up in advance. Like it's a thing, isn't it? I'm slightly more shambolic sort of human. But I can imagine that if you're turning up to play in your medal, then it's like an occasion. Are you the same when it's the better ball or the, the individual knockout? Is always that a different sort of occasion for you? No, I'm exactly the same. Um, so so my 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 approach is fairly uniform so I can tell you exactly what I did for the medal on Saturday because I'll do exactly the same thing for the first round of our knockout which is I got to the course about an hour before um, mm. I sorted myself out I went in, got the things I needed got my tokens and I went and hit a number of balls on the range went and had a little chip, went and had a little putt then went out for battle 
Um, and yeah. I can, and I, and I, to be honest with you, I, I consider match play golf as a battle. I want to beat the living crap out of my opponent in a golfing sense, uh, and I'm frequently frustrated when I when when it doesn't transpire as I would wish. Um, so what? How? So let's say you're playing in like a, a, the first round of the handicap knockout, and it's someone you don't know, which quite likely that it's going to be someone you don't know when there's such a big field by sounds things. So what are you doing then? Are you are you sort of game facing it off the first tee? Are you marching off up the fairway? Or are you are you sort of dawdling around and asking them where they live and how long they've been a member and that kind of thing? Depends how I'm playing. Is the answer. Um, if I actually get up in a match and stay up, I'm basically sevy personified. Um, if I'm four down to a twenty four handicapper with six holes to go, I'm the most talkative person on the planet. So I, I see. I've been very. I get myself in a very strange place about this. In the pairs, if I'm playing with Dan, I, I quite like that because I decide that I can leave the chit chat to him, and I can get focused on the golf and trying to win the game. So, and he gets really cross about it, saying, "Why did you always do this? Why are you always marching off fifty yards down the fairway when I have to be hanging around doing the small talk?" Uh, and I say what you say, which is like, "Well, we're trying to play a golf match, and we're supposed to be slightly intense." But then, if I'm playing on my own in the singles ones, then I, I can't stop talking because I'm sort of like I'm desperate that the the sort of overriding thing is that we have a nice time because there's only two of you in there. It's like quite an intense thing, isn't it? What are you and Hannah going to be like in the four ball then? Because or the, the foursomes? Because neither of you are massively big on small talk. No, she's she. I mean, yeah, she's terrible. She's ultra Absolutely serious terrible. as well. I mean, every every yeah. game that Hannah plays in is a war. Yeah, I think she has got a bit. She has, um, that has, I think that has dialed down a little bit. Yeah, but I'll take your point. But you do have to sort of, you have to run through the whereabouts do you live? How long have you been a member? When do you normally play your golf? These are pretty standard old Woodley questions. See, I really try and avoid this because people will inevitably ask what I do for a living. Hmm. And I don't, I don't, when I'm trying to concentrate on a game of golf, I don't necessarily like where that conversation leads. I mm. prefer, I, I know I prefer to be, oh, I'm not, oh, Jesus, I'm sort of bigging myself up like Kim Kardashian here. Um, but, but when you, when, when you say to people, when people like you play golf with say to you, what do you do for a living? And I say to them, I'm a golf writer. The conversation does not end there. You know, no. if, if I if if I say if someone if I say to someone, um, what do you do for a living? And they say, oh, I'm an electrician, or I'm a plumber, or I'm an accountant. I go, oh, really interesting. A couple of questions ensue from there, and then they shut up. But when you mm. ask people, like when I say to people, oh, I'm a golf writer, lots of different questions ensue, could, could get asked from there. You know, oh, you must have played this course then. Oh, you must get a lot of equipment through your work. Where's the best place you've ever played? What do you think about live? Oh, John Rams won the Masters this weekend. That must be excellent. And you're just like, like, yes, but I'm trying to negotiate a tricky hybrid from 190 into a green. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not necessarily in the best place to talk about the complexities of live golf. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You must. You must have experienced that as well. Uh... Yeah, massively, yeah. I mean, at the weekend, yeah. The chap I was playing with asked me on the second fairway, what did I think of live golf um, because we're in the industry? That does happen a lot, yeah. I don't mind it. I quite but, like the sound of my own yeah, voice. I'm, ha- I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, 
you know me, Tom. I'm not like shy at coming forward when it comes to chatting, but there's like for me, there's like a time and a place. I'll sit in the clubhouse with the same person for an hour afterwards, dissecting live golf to the nth degree. But I don't necessarily want to do it when I'm trying to think about a ten foot slider. But I do think this is there. There is a difference here between playing with a random in a drawn board comp because you're not necessarily playing directly against that person. You're right. You want to beat them and all the rest of it. But there's 180 odd people in the field, so the the sort of the mano a mano aspect of it is way less intense, which is why I think it's very so difficult. So I think it's quite revealing actually about what your character is. Um, when you draw someone in a singles thing that you don't know, because if you put the golf to one side, if you were, if you were, I don't know, stuck in a lift with someone or you were on a train journey with someone and you were sat next to them opposite a table, you'd want them to leave that conversation thinking, oh, he was a nice bloke. And that would be your overarching aim of the four hours you spent in their company. So that, that for some reason, when I play singles match play golf, that, that thing overtakes the requirement to win the competition. And I, I don't know why that is. But it doesn't. It definitely doesn't apply in pairs, where I think oh, someone else can do the make sure they think we're all right thing, and I'll go and try and play golf properly. But that I think that is a, a very different thing between uh, a drawn um, medal stroke play um, and a and a match play knockout. I find it very difficult to know what face to pull, um, and often like but you said earlier, you've got sort of a set way of turning up to play golf, regardless of whether it's the knockout or whether it's the medal. I just, I just don't treat these knockouts with any respect. I literally get out of my car and walk to the first tee, and I would never do that for a, um, for a medal or whatever. That's why you've got an L in the column so far this year already. <laughs> no. Although I don't know what, well, I don't know what my good, excuse is. That is an incredibly good segue because that is not why I've got an L in the column, Steve. I've got an L in the column because I had to give 20 shots to someone oh. who used to play off three. Well, here we go. I, I I didn't think we could escape an hour of this podcast without getting into a handicap mode. So the floor is yours, Tom. Well, I, 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 no, no. I will t- I'll tell you what happened. So I played against the president of the golf club. Uh, he's called John Smith. Uh, s- smaller side here. There's a, I don't know if I've said this before, but an oddity of my match play draws this year is that I'm playing in four competitions and I've drawn two families because I've drawn the same husband and wife pair in the in both pairs competitions, and I've drawn a father and son in either the handicap or the uh, scratch knockout. So this was the father of the Smith dynasty at Old Woodley. So he's a founder member. He's been a member, I think, for like 60 years or something. He is in his mid-80s. Um, and at one point or another was a three-handicapper, is a properly good golfer. Obviously, he's very steady around his own track. And even he was surprised that he was receiving 20 shots. 20 shots! Uh, so I think his playing handicap is maybe 14 or 15. Uh, sorry, his, his index is 14 or 15. And off these particular tees, he goes up. And obviously, I'm giving him an extra one. I've been up plus one. Um, so, yeah, 20 shots is a lot. Um, what I would say is that I... Uh, did not capitalise on several good opportunities early on to sort of get two or three up. Um, and then he absolutely ambushed me around the turn. So I think I was one up playing the eighth, which is a par five, where he made a net eagle because he was getting two shots. Then he made a gross three for two on the uh, par three. Then we both had made five net four on the 10th. Then he made another three net two on the 11th. 
and then he made a four net two on the 12th. So that was me done and dusted. An eagle and three net twos later. I have no issue with um, the handicap thing, and I have no issue with um, playing, giving away quite a lot of shots. Um, I mean, I was once a seven handicapper. I am not a seven handicapper anymore. I'm basically a couple of rounds away from mid-teens, um, and the hunter will become the hunted shortly, I would have thought. Um, but I have no issue with... I sort of have faith that the handicap system will do what it wants, will do what it's designed to do, and I don't begrudge people who are, who are higher handicappers having a good day. I think it's possible. I do believe that they've got more scope to improve, which makes it slightly easier, um, and we'll get on to this. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a debate to be had about handicap allowances, um, but... Um, I don't mind losing to uh, a player giving them a lot of shots unless they say one of the following things to me, which is, I don't know where that came from. I've never played like this before. Um, I'll not play like this again for the rest of the season. And, oh, you've caught me on a good day. Brilliant. Brilliant. What's, uh, what is the handicap allowance in uh, match play singles? Uh, I'm just going to grab up a piece I wrote about this. Uh, in individual individuals, it's 95%. We know all that. Individual match play, 100%. Four ball match play, 90%. Four sums, 50% of combined team handicap, and then you get into some weird stuff around Greensums, Pinehurst, and Chapman's, but they're not match play, are they? So individual match play, 100%. Four-ball match play, 90%. They're the, they're the two we'll mostly play. But, Peter, so, okay, so if I, so you're off 11, right? Your index is 11. Yeah. And uh, mine's apparently plus one, so I'm giving you 12. Depends on the course handicap. Right, so this is where it goes wrong, isn't it? Because what is your course handicap at Strenny off the whites? Maybe 13 soon. But 12, because I get 11 off 95% of the medal. Yeah, 12. What? No, I'm saying what... So if you if you turn up to play me in match play yeah. off the white tees at Strensel, yeah. what is your playing handicap that we're taking 100% of that difference from? 12. 12, right. So then I give you 13. Sounds fair. Weird because my handicap definitely won't move. It never does. Um, so that that is a problem, isn't it? Because I'm not only getting hundred percent of the difference, you're also getting two more. But you're better than the course rating. Uh, well, apart from I'm not. I mean, I do agree that on all of this, my handicap is too low. But that is what that is what happened in this match on uh, last week. Is that because my handicap doesn't move and his goes up off the yellow tees randomly? all of a sudden 100% the difference is huge. Yeah, so I think that, that the, the, the 100% difference plus the um, course rating, which often bumps, bumps up the higher handicappers, playing handicap and not the lower handicappers, I think that is what is getting people's goats. And again, it's kind of because of what we're all used to. So back in the day, I'm pretty sure the difference was 75%, wasn't it? Oh, so no, I think... Three, Three quarters, th- definitely three quarters. Like when I was when I grew up playing uh, as a kid, it was three quarters of the difference. So three quarters of the difference 
when you handicap your handicap and there's no there isn't the concept of course handicap um that is that is a big big difference isn't it i haven't played that um i've always played 100 100% um and then i think four ball like better ball used to be 95 yeah I'm but feeling it used to be 95% but i'm relatively youthful um when, yeah, it, when you it are, comes yeah. to these things um, it was three I mean, quarters difference so what you've got to remember about the new handicap situation is that your handicap does not equate to the number of strokes that you might get on a particular course because it's your handicap is is effectively desloped, right? It's to it, I think that you know James Luke, who's England golf's had a handicap, is a regular listener to this podcast. He'll soon tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but but your but your handicap. As it is, that that sort of handicap index is effectively de, de- sloped, so it's to the mythical utopian course, isn't it, of one one three? Um, yeah. Where it's so obviously, you know, it changes uh, depending on what course you're playing, or it can change. Um, my handicap can change, um, and I think that's what a lot of people haven't yet got used to because that their handicap was always their handicap off their course, wasn't it? And now it sort of changes depending on where you are. So um, you're going to have to get used, I think, to shots being added on when course handicap comes into effect. Yeah, but I guess I guess that the, the what I'm driving at is that the, the people are cross about this kind of thing. They're cross about WHS and they're cross about it favouring the higher handicapper. And it's only sort of when you get into the weeds of it that you begin to understand where that crossness is coming from. So I'm looking at our, our website here from a piece from October the 22nd, 2013, in discussion, the three-quarter handicap difference rule in match play. Um, so the, this was when they were trying to nudge things around to try and to help high handicappers under the old system more because everyone felt that it was slightly skewed in favour of better players. Um but for anyone who is the lower mark in any given match, I think that they're now feeling very hard done by because if they're of any sort of age in golf, they would have grown up with it with a, 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 a significantly different system. So in my in my match against um, against John, and John will not mind me saying this because he was sort of laughing himself about um, how many shots he was getting. So our difference would have been sixteen, and he would have got three quarters of sixteen. So he'd have got twelve, not twenty, and that's huge, isn't it? Well, you'd have probably beaten him. Well, I mean, who knows? But it's a it's a massive difference, and this is what they're wrestling with, isn't it? Is where is the what is equitable? How do you get the right balance to give everyone a fair chance? It's a funny well, thing, isn't I, it? I, I mean, again, I mean, I'm just going to say that the vast majority of golfers in this country have a handicap of seventeen or above. The average, yeah. the the average handicap in 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 England is seventeen point one for men. WHS. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, should a system be in place? Should a system have been in place before that favoured the lower handicap player? Yeah, I don't know when the vast majority of players are not low handicappers. I mean, the the, the there's like graph isn't there on that piece that I wrote about um, where the higher handicappers were dominating competitions, and your ilk is. Less, fewer than five percent of golfers. I mean, the reality—the yeah. reality is that the people who are complaining represent by far a minority of golfers. So, should a system have been placed beforehand that 
skewed in their favour. I sometimes think, and I've felt this myself as a low handicapper, I'm sort of slightly different now, I'm creeping up, as you would expect, but you know, I, I sometimes think there is an expectation among low handicappers that they should win because they're the better player. Well, yeah. that, well, that is true. You are the better player, but that's why there's a handicap system in place to try and equalise it. I suppose the question you're asking is, does it go? is it still going too far in one direction? But I sometimes think that unless you had a situation where the lower handicapper was prevailing the majority of the time, then people would always complain about it because there's the intrinsic belief that the lower handicapper should triumph. Um, well, you know, if you, if you, if you, what I would say to you, Tom, is you know, it's it's very unlikely that you're going to win a handicap competition because at some point you're going to have to give a monumental number of shots away. That's because you're so good at golf. But then you've got a scratch competition that you'd have a mm. much better you'd have a much better chance in, and that the majority of handicappers in the club can't enter. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't disagree with any of that, and I think I'm hopefully sort of right, right-minded enough to sort of concur with much of it. Um, but you can see why people are cross because the, it's it's it hasn't just moved; it's moved seismically from where it was. Like as in, it's moved from a position where I think everyone would sort of agree that yeah, it was in favour of the lower handicap golfer, and now it isn't. Yeah, but then if you look at Stableford competitions as an aside, and you look at you look at the figures that How Did I Do put out. Um, what they show is that the gap has narrowed tremendously as a result of WHS, where Cat One players had an enormous advantage in in those competitions previously, and now actually the Cat Four player, as was, is now the most likely to hit the most points, and the Cat One player, as was, is the more likely to post the least points, but at least it's all around the similar amount. I mean, there's an argument that really should the best suddenly become the worst. Is that still a flaw of a system? But um, the numbers the numbers in that situation have narrowed considerably from where they were. You know, now everyone, if you look at those figures, everyone was around sort of 32-ish points, whereas before there was like a two-point difference on average between top player and bottom player. So I suppose it depends how full your glass is. Well... I think what we all want is a nice close game where the low handicap wins. <laughs> the high handicapper might dispute that. But yeah, but I mean, what a fiddle it is to try and get something that, that works. Some, you're not going to be able to please anyone with any system. That's what is pretty clear. Uh, and it's impossible, you know, when people forget this, you know, it is impossible to have a perfect system. It's not, it's not mm. possible. You know, because all sorts of they tr- look, use the use the analogy with horse racing. You know, the idea of the handicap is to get every horse to the line at the same time. Well, they don't because no. be, because sometimes horses are feeling better than other horses, and sometimes yeah. there is form and there's poor form, and it's exactly the same with human beings. So you try to bridge the gap as much as possible. But I, I do yeah. think that one of the unfair criticisms of the world handicap system is the idea that that prevails that the lower handicapper should somehow come out on top the majority of the time. I'm not yeah, sure they I should. You, you're probably onto something there that that is kind of uh, a view, isn't it, that quite is held by quite a lot of people. I mean, 
maybe there's a credibility argument to that, that the, the person who's actually the most skilled golfer should win more often than not. Um, it just goes back to this point of, is the handicap system full stop causing more problems than it's solving? But then player competitions <clears throat> off stick end. And well, the yeah, handicap player will win all the time. You know, um, that, that, that's the point of the handicap system is to try and equalise it. Now, now, there are arguments to be had over um, scale of handicap that should be allowed into competition. And I'm seeing people moaning about this on because on, we've done an interview with James um, that's appeared on our website today as we record. And people are complaining about the, the, huge, the high handicappers who are winning competitions. Well, that's not a WHS issue. WHS just allows people to have 54 handicaps. It's a terms of competition issue to what level of handicap that you allow people to enter from. And I think where, I, where I'm going to stridently stick up for WHS here and the people who administer it is, it's about time clubs started taking responsibility for that. You know, and yeah. instead, of, instead of just blaming the system and saying, well, we had 56 points win last week in a competition or a 54 handicappers beating a 12 handicapper in the match play. Well, that's not WHS's fault. WHS is the vehicle that levers the handicap. It's the terms of competition's fault for allowing a 54 handicapper to enter. Yeah. Which is back to divisions and all the rest of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, I just thought that the point, the point was worth making about this sort of perhaps the stark difference between how it used to be and how it is now, particularly in match play. Um, I, I can't be- even, I can't even remember playing under 75%. I'm sure I did because I've been playing competitive golf for a long time now. But it's just one of those things that as you get older, your mind just starts losing things, doesn't it? Or starts thinking things are different. That is a, I always thought that was like a weird thing, but it's a definite thing. It's a definite thing. It's a definite thing. My brain has basically just decided that 75% never existed. So the other thing I just wanted to touch on, um, which again um, we have discussed before, but it is it's so relevant to my existence, is that we're supposed to now have this uh, system that has allowed golf courses to be rated uh, for both genders off all all tees, which should allow completely equitable play for men and women, mm. regardless of the format, but just doesn't seem to have had sort of universal take up. Um, this was a problem for me in the winter foursomes where I couldn't, I couldn't sub in Hannah as my as my partner because um, it's a men's competition and we have no course rating for um, for women off the yellow tees. Um, she is playing with me in the Crawford, which is a mixed competition, um, but she's going to play off the red tees and receive courtesy shots because that's how it works. Um, and I, yeah, that I just find it very strange that we haven't. Through through the the change of handicap system, through the move to away from um, SSS to course rating, um, that we haven't been able to get all of the courses rated um, for for both genders to allow this sort of thing to expedite this happening. Um, I'm not saying that there would be like universal take up and all competitions become mixed, but it would allow more access to the golf course for more people more often if if they were able to play in all of the knockouts equitably. But uh, again, that's a, for me, that's a terms of competition thing. It's not a WHS thing. There is nothing to stop mixed genders playing in the same competition already. They don't have to play off the same tees. Well, no, I know that. And that's what, how we're doing. That's how the Crawford operates. But to me, that is like, um, 
it's very very strange sort of way of doing it when there is there is now a system of doing it off the same tees with a higher handicap. But I, I think that the issue with the issue with rating tees, I think, is is a slightly different one to competitions. I think the problem with rating tees, um, not that I necessarily, I, I don't necessarily agree with this, right? I, I should say at this point, but I understand the rationale, which is to rate every set of tea for men and women is a phenomenal undertaking. Um, of course, rating people. Um, and what they would have to consider is what is going to be the take-up of play on these various tees by various genders. It's why you're seeing a lot of red tees, red tees, forward tees, sorry, um, now being rated for men because the club believes there'll be a number of of people who might take the opportunity to play off that tee, seniors, for example, so on juniors. Um, but I think one of the reasons, or certainly as it's been explained to me, one of the reasons that all tees have not been rated for all genders is because, let's take a back tee, for example, the number of women who might play off that back tee is going to be a fraction. Um, and is that worth the time of volunteers, the expense of volunteers and the effort of those volunteers because the form filling that they have to do to rate a single hole 18 times is I've seen the forms, then they're, they're, they're pretty detailed. They would argue, is it worth that time? Is it worth that expense? Is it worth that journey? Um, and that's, oh. I think, where we are at the moment with rating gender rating tees for all genders currently i think where a, what england golf would say is where a club can say that there's going to be use of a particular tee say white tees for women then they'll go in and rate it and i think there is the possibility for clubs to get temporary ratings for those tees provisional ratings to see whether they'll get that kind of use but yeah yeah but that's where we is are. it worth it? Well, that's that. That to me is the the sort of nub of this. Yeah, I, I may have too... expressed that clumsily, Tom. Um, yeah, 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 but, that, but you know, that but you know the what, point. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't think those are necessarily their words, but that is the sort of essence of it. Is it's it's such a small number of people, um, but it's a small number of people for a reason because, like, we you need to have equal access, don't you? That's the that's well, the sort of point of the whole thing. I mean, I mean that that's. That's what I think is more important than actually whether competitions are segregated or not. My my view on this has shifted over time. You know, there, there are a lot of golfers who want separate gendered competitions, and that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as there's equal access to the golf course. And that's where I think my sort of attentions have turned, and that's where my kind of campaigning on this lies now is actually getting equal access to the golf course for both genders rather than necessarily worrying about whether a competition is a man or a woman. Um, yeah. So I, I get excited about excited, annoyed, upset, whatever whatever adjective you want to use. I get excited when that universal, that equal access is not offered because I think that is potentially a problem for a golf club. Rather than you know, I, I, if 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 a club wants to have a, hold a men's competition, there's lots of tee times, fine, but you know, cut some tee times into the into the competition so there's equal access for both genders. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So anyway, I hope I'll make it a bit further than round one in uh, the remainder of my club knockouts. Should have a bet, shouldn't we, about who plays the most? I've entered four competitions. 
uh, and I've currently played one match. How many matches do you think you'll play total in your knockout season? In the individual, probably one. No total. Um, I usually get knocked out. Um, depends how my partner plays. Um, he's um, he's he's he can be pretty explosive when he when he brings his game. And for a sort of mid to highish handicapper, he's about eighteen course handicap. He hits the ball when he hits it a long way. And if he plays well, we're a pretty hard combination to beat because I'm short but steady. Um, yeah. So if if he if he brings his game, we could we could have a run. So I can't see me getting very far in the uh, scratch knockout. I think I'll play three uh, games. Three. Yeah. I, I think we'll get knocked out second round of the of the of the match play, the pairs, and then I'll probably lose in the first round because th- I'm not being pessimistic about that. But I need good conditions. I'm going to need fast conditions at the moment. I'm playing really well and not scoring well because of conditions. So me playing a, you know, a mm. a. a, a, a a singles match probably at the end of April, start of May, when it's still likely to be pretty damp. The odds are going to be against me. You need some ground help. So I reckon I'm going to make double figures as a result of the mixed foursomes and Hannah. Ten. You're just going to ignore what happens if you get knocked out and re-enter or something. So how are you going to get that far? <laughs> no. Just I refuse to accept the result. Thank you. <coughs> right. I'm going to go to Woolacombe now with my children and wife. Well, I look forward to seeing you back in Merry Leeds next week for more pod activities. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. See you Cheers, next Tom. Week. Cheers. Bye.